Good morning and afternoon, everybody. This is episode six of the Digital Guardian podcast. We're here today with Dave Lewis. I'll let him introduce himself in a few minutes. I'm Thomas Fisher, the Global Security Advocate for Digital Guardian. And today, as I said, we have Dave Lewis. If you'd like to introduce yourself, Dave. Sure. Yes. Hi, I'm Dave Lewis. I am also a global security advocate, but in this case for Akamai Technologies. So Dave, it's been an exciting week. Well, at least an exciting seven or eight days, hasn't it? We've basically launched Cyber Wharf. It's the biggest cyber attack in in history. You almost said the Cyber W word there. Yeah, I did almost. It was a slip of a tongue. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, it's been an interesting few days, at least for me. It's just, but as we were talking earlier, it's, you know, it's insanity, right? Because we're just repeating the same mistakes we've done over and over again. I mean, I was, I I don't know what you were doing back in the day, but, you know, when SQL Slammer hit, I was basically managing teams, trying to get them to, like, basically close off every SQL server that we had in the network. Yeah, no, I remember that. I actually stood in the room, not not more than seven feet away from David Litchfield when he gave his presentation that ultimately led to Slammer. And I remember seeing him, he was had a whiteboard, he was writing all over the whiteboard, and I was like, oh, this is not going to end well. Yeah. yeah. Funnily enough, I was catching up on Paul's Security Weekly podcast this morning, and back in April, Paul and Carlos Perez were discussing exactly what happened on Friday, almost to the T, talking about how this, the SMB vulnerabilities and how the, everybody should be turning it off. <laughs> It's frustrating because on one hand, we can jump up and down and yell and scream. It's like, oh, my God, why didn't you do that? But the reality is it's far more complicated than that because all these organizations, they may require or they may not have the skill set to make sure that these things are turned off. They may require it because of some other dependency on you know ancient software that they happen to be running in their organization. Mm-hmm. And that's just a couple of examples, but that's one of those problems where it's like we can't, you know, oh, my God, you should have patched. Yes, but dot, dot, dot. Exactly. And so some of the biggest industries hit around in Europe, including where I live in UK, which was the NHS. I mean, the, the issue too is you you have systems that are dependent on not being updated. You know, I used to work in the oil and gas industry as well. And some of the production control systems you basically didn't touch because any any touching of the system would mean a lot of downtime. And, and go ahead. No, oh, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say I worked in power systems for nine years, so I understand that fully. One particular system that our guys scanned with Nmap of all things hit one of the uh, daemons called Lock D, and that thing panicked and caused a cascade failure up the stack and took the whole system down. Yeah, I mean, just from uh, a simple scan. Yeah, I know it's it can be ridiculous, and unfortunately, some of these you just don't have the choice, right? And what are you going to do? I mean, you can segment off that equipment, but then. That means segmenting not just that equipment, but a whole infrastructure because people have to access it to actually manage it and to use it or to recover information that they're getting from that device. Right. But the thing is, if they built it correctly from the outset rather, and did you know implement a network of segmentation, it would limit these sort of problems. Yes, you may have to require this particular piece of software or whatever it is that is beyond repair at this point to be still running. But if you haven't segmented off, at least you're limiting the risk to your rest of your organization. And this is one of those frustrations I have that it's like we've gotten to the point now where it is almost cheaper to tear down and rebuild than it is to continually manage some of these applications or software or whatever it happens to be, because you've gone from 
from technical debt perspective, you've gone into a depreciation where you're in negative value. So now it actually costs you more to maintain it than it does to replace it. Agreed. But what about equipment that's like massive, like like you know MRI scanners? I mean, you just can't tear the whole thing down and and put it back up. It's it's a function of millions of dollars, isn't it? Or Exactly. And that's why I was going back to earlier when I was saying it's not as simple as we would like to like it to be. Uh, working in power systems, we had devices that were in the field that had been there for 30 plus years and people were like, oh, just patch it. I'm like, this is not going to end well. There are no backups for these systems. You have to deliver them on an 18 wheeler, dot, dot, dot. And that's one of those things where there are levels of complexity that people don't really appreciate with this sort of thing. Yeah, and some of those systems you just can't bring down, right? Because they're they're vital to production carrying on, or they're vital for the chain to keep to keep running. I mean, there's no, there's like little, very, very, or no downtime. Oh yeah, like every organization I've ever worked in, with the exception of the current one I'm in, has always had the summer intern that built application X that's running on an old beige desktop that nobody knows how to maintain, update, or patch, let alone get into it because they can't remember the password, but it's mission critical. Mm. I ran into that over the years so many times, and this is one of those things where this leads into this technical debt where we have problems exactly like this that not only affect you know production and patching and all the rest of it, but can ultimately affect the supply chain because if something gets introduced into one of those systems that are accessible, it could have a cascade failure across your network. You know, you mentioned technical debt, but how do you deal with technical debt when, well, one of two things: one, you just don't have the budget because you can't. You, you know, you're you're five or six billion pounds in debt anyway, and also some of the infrastructure that you you need, you know, you need to upgrade. You can't upgrade because upgrading it will create too much downtime and and make the actual, you know, well, in in the case of of hospitals. If you're taking downtime, you're potentially risking the life of, of patients or, or life of, of injured people for coming into the hospital. I mean, how, how do you balance that technical debt versus constraints like that? Well, it really is. You have to look at what are the risk exposures you have to your organization and then start at the top of the list, the worst one of the bunch, and work backwards. There's no easy answer with this sort of thing, and that's one of the real difficulties is, is exactly that. It's, there is a frustration level because there is so much debt in some of these organizations that it is almost insurmountable, but I'm never one to give up. <laughs> and also when you're dealing with something like a hospital type of organization, like I spoke at Hims this year down in Orlando, and a lot of these conversations were around this, like how do you do it? When I was in power systems, when we would deploy new systems, we would actually do it in parallel and then cut over when we were sure that after all the testing we did, that it would actually be resilient. We do it in an off-peak situation and make sure that when we did cut it over, that we had actually a proper fail-back plan in the event things went completely squiffy. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the, that's the best strategy, isn't it? So in that technical debt, we come up to the vendor or the supplier. I mean, if you think about Part of the problem with the technical debt in, in in the field of medicine is that hospitals are running equipment that cost them millions and millions of dollars to buy, and very rarely get upgraded. So I saw recently that a few of those vendors are actually announcing that they're going to be pushing and they're going to be providing updates to this to these old computer systems. Most of them running Windows XP, so biggest target, one of the biggest targets for for the last week's outbreak. 
how do you see that fitting in that, that supply chain aspect? Because it is part of the supply chain, right? Somebody who's supplying you a device or a piece of software or a piece of equipment. How do you see that fitting into managing that technical debt? Well, I mean, as the consumer, and in this case, those organizations are the consumer, they actually have to hold the vendors accountable and they have to make sure that they're, as the consumer in this particular scenario, that they are completely spelling out what their requirements are. They have to be crystal clear with what they're trying to do because a lot of vendors will come in with their shiny box and say, oh, look, it has blinky lights. It's not going to help the situation in that case. So it is really incumbent upon the the customer to say, look, we need this, this, and this. And if those vendors aren't able to deliver that, there are vendors that will. And that's just it. There's no good answer. And it's a little bit frustrating in that regard. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree. It's just, You get into situations where you can put as much pressure as you want on your vendor, but at the end of the day, is you, you need to manage that pressure. I mean, you know, I saw a lot of, there was a lot of blame throwing after the proverbial, you know, crap hit the fan. I mean, there was a lot of blame throwing. Was it Microsoft's fault? Was it the NSA's fault? I mean, you know, for me, it's just, go ahead. It's all of our faults. Exactly. That's what I was about to sort about oh, to go sorry. down that road. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's great, you know. It's because if you think about it, it's like we know. I mean, I think we both know. We've been playing at this game for long enough that you know you can't pass that buck, right? You've got to take responsibility for your technical debt, and you've got to take responsibility for managing the the systems that you can and can upgrade. I mean, I, I remember when I was part of, I was lead. I was like the equivalent of SME for the desktop infrastructure for the company I was working for. I mean, we got set targets at the at that time where we had to basically over a pool of over eighty thousand PCs, we had to have you know, monthly update rate of over 85 to 90%. And we were tracked on that. That was, you know, we had that tracked in terms of our objectives and in terms of the CIO dashboard. When I hear what went on last week, I'm like, you know, don't we do that anymore? Those companies just not bothering with their patch rates anymore? You know what it is, is I think that somewhere along the lines, we actually forgot how to be the adults in the room. And this is really something that is a bit troubling because, I mean, we look back, you know, 10, 20 years ago when we were starting out in this whole field, there was a limited number of things that were available for us to work on, right? And as time has gone forward, you know, all the applications have spun up that there are so many different angles that you can look at. And, you know, the base of people that are available to work on these things is not kept pace with the, the number of opportunities in different types of software, different types of hardware, all that sort of thing. So there is you know, a necessity for more people to work in this field. And that's one of the things I worry about is that in addition to the technical debt, we're actually losing the base because, you know, I got some gray in my beard now and it's, there's more every day. So eventually I'm going to go off and you know, own a bookstore somewhere. <laughs> A bookstore? <laughs> you think they get <laughs> you something could... <laughs> non-technical? <laughs> <laughs> One day that will count. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm running right behind you. <laughs> I'm I'm looking at islands right now. I was like, I just want to go to an island where there's no technology. Just get away from it all. Because <laughs> I'm so. <laughs> You know, there was there is an <laughs> sorry, there is another aspect to to the supply chain. I was thinking about 
when we were mentioning SQL Slammer, because this is an incident for I can't really discuss, but I worked with a, a long time ago, I worked with a customer who told me a story. It involved SQL Slammer, essentially. But it was part of that supply chain issue. So, you know, we, we have customers, you know, they run, they're part of a supply chain or they have a very extensive supply chain in the back to, to be able to support their business and to be able to do what, you know, their business does. You know, we have a situation here where does our IT security policy, does our audit reach need to go beyond our own, you know, closed loop? Do we need to take precautions and ensure that those suppliers are practicing the same level of security that we expect for for ourselves. I mean, what's your kind of vision on that? How do you think we sh- a company should proceed to ensure that that whole line of, because we're no longer just one closed entity in terms of a business, a business now relies on so much more. So what do you think best business practices, best, you know, like security practices companies should have to ensure that that threat doesn't come through that through the supply chain well this actually goes right back to what i was saying earlier about you know spelling out your requirements so for example if you're onboarding a partner company to have allow them access to your own network you want to go through the steps and make sure that they have done x y and z before you ever connect them to your network one company i worked at years ago we actually had about 300 plus vendors that were tied into our network and I made the silly mistake of putting up my hand going, oh, where is all the documentation for this? And I found out that maybe if we're lucky, 20% of them were actually documented at all in any way, shape or form. So we had companies that had unfettered access into our network. And this is a real problem. And then when you look at the software that you buy and purchase and put into your own environment, you want to make sure you're vetting it. Because if you are outsourcing your code to you know, country X, Y, or Z, seems to be my thing for the day is XYZ. But if you're outsourcing code development, you want to make sure that you're vetting that code that is being delivered. You want to make sure you're getting exactly what you asked for and not having, you know, either by happenstance or by, you know, negative intent that they're not introducing something into your environment, whatever it happens to be that has, you know, could have a malicious purpose, either Mm -hmm. by accident or by happenstance. (laughs) So, yeah, making sure the whole thing works like you expect it to work. Well, exactly. Yeah. So if you're running a financial institution, you're developing your code offshore, are you just going to blindly take it and install it? It wouldn't be very swift, would it? No. <laughs> but then again, you know, you never know. It's swift. <laughs> yeah, it's quick. Problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. The things that we say. <laughs> the things that go on in the world. Yeah. So I was, I mean, one other aspect that really got to me was the vector. Well, we still don't know what what was the exact, you know, point of entry or or what the exact vector for infection was on the on this thing. But one of the things that got to me is that it is definitely you know moving around via use you know over the internet via RDP or via SMB. I mean, you know, most people have confirmed that. Akamai does a lot of you know, does a lot of tracking of of trends of network activity. Why do you think people are still opening those ports on the internet? I mean, what's your vision on on that kind of? Well, why would you have SMB open on the internet? I can understand RDP because support people want to connect and things like that, but SMB. Even then, yeah. I mean, even then, there's no good reason for it. I mean, for example, when I did a quick search on Shodan when this all broke. 
I found 1.3 mi- or yeah, basically 1.3 million instances of port 445 open to the internet. Now, there's no guarantee that that was SMB itself, but still, I'm willing to say it was better than one. You know what it is? Is this is where I worry about going back to technical debt? It applies to skill sets as well. We have people that are very good at doing, you know, maintaining systems or whatever it happens to be, or writing code but they won't necessarily have any inkling towards security because they've never been taught it, never been exposed to it until something like this happens. And then they've become very acutely aware of it. Yeah. The other thing that I, I see too, is that our systems have become so complex and something might've, you know, something might've been brought up. I mean, we're back to the technical debt. Yes. But you know, you might've brought up something, some application or some new system up at one time or some, you know, POC that you started to, to run and you opened all your firewalls and you tried to make everything work properly and you had to make it work quick because it was it had to it had to start because the business was requiring it quickly and you just forget about it because you don't you know maybe you don't follow the proper change management protocols maybe you don't follow the it's just a test so you just put it aside and you just you get submerged with other problems that are more serious and you just completely forget about it. And then one day, as you say, you wake up because, well, it's that vector of infection. You've just been completely hosed because you left that port open at one point in time. So you're saying the firewall rule allow any any is bad? No, I have that on my firewall, don't you? Yeah, no, and you really nailed it. There's been so many instances where, you know, organizations where we had POCs, in the past, and I would go through the firewall rule set, and I'll go, well, what's this? And it's like, oh, that was a POC we did four years ago. Like, huh? <laughs> why, why is this still here? Oh, we yeah, forgot to take that out. We meant to. Then we went for lunch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, then it was the weekend. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. It's frustrating. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I did appreciate that they launched it right on Friday, you know? Just like... <laughs> Well, the thing that actually really caught my attention was they launched it on Friday. And didn't Donald Trump sign his cybersecurity order on the Thursday? Yeah, but I mean, it's not even really a cybersecurity order. It's an order to actually investigate what needs to be done for cybersecurity, isn't it? I know, but I watched X-Files too many times, so I enjoyed that too much. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. The days we live in. (laughs) I I broke him. I broke him. Uh, I wonder what's next. Oh, never ask that question. That and never do the math. Oh, no, I know I can't do math. That's why I have computers. <laughs> well, people say, "Oh, how many years have you been doing X?" And I start doing the math, and then I cry. <laughs> oh, I don't even. I, do, I mean, God, I think I think I've been doing this longer than my son has been is been alive. So yeah, no, I think you have. Yeah, it's been. Oh, yeah, I mean, I think the first time I got into security was probably in the late 90s or mid 90s no mid 90s that's 1990 not 1890 <laughs> oh my goodness i actually have you beat oh wow really well i was may or may not have been participating in bootlegging video games in the 80s Ah, uh, yeah i don't yeah okay <laughs> that yeah i was doing things that i will not talk about when i was still in high school as well so. <laughs> It involved dialers and things like that, and CompuServe, and CompuServe access nodes. Do you remember those? Yes, I do. <laughs> those were great, man. <laughs> oh, anyway, so I think we're coming up. We're coming close to a half hour. 
it was fun and entertaining, Dave. I know you need to. You're at a conference right now, aren't you? Some something yeah, like I'm that. Actually, speaking at NolaCon right now. Oh, cool. Well, that's a great thing to do. Keep sharing that knowledge. So, it was good to have you on on board on this podcast, Dave. And thanks a lot for your insights. And we'll hope to see and hear from you soon. Will indeed. And as for our listeners, if you remember last podcast on episode five, a little contest was launched to win a B-Sides London ticket. So if you're a UK listener, you want to come to B-Sides London, go back to podcast episode five and listen in and find out what you need to do to win the ticket. Well, have a good day, everybody. And thanks a lot, Dave, again. And I hope to have you on board in the far future. <laughs> <laughs>